The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. This afternoon we'll be looking at the entirety of verse 13, but I'd like to begin reading back at verse 12 and then down through 17 as we have been. What you're about to hear really is God's word given to you as a kingly gift. Please hear it as such. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with all thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Well, this is indeed the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to pray with me. Our great God and Father, we thank you for the Lord's day that you have set before us. You know that we are weak creatures who need rest, and not just need rest for our bodies, but need our souls revitalized and encouraged and nourished by your word and by prayer and by the songs, by the fellowship of the saints. Lord, we pray that this Lord's Day would indeed be a market day of the soul, We'd come and buy from you without money the things that our souls need for the week ahead of us. Lord, we don't know what this coming week will hold, but you do. And you open to us fresh stores of grace that we would come and buy milk and wine and food without cost. Oh God, open now before us your word, and we pray that you'd send forth your spirit into our hearts, into our minds, and conform our will, that we would not just understand these things, but oh God, that you would shape us by them. We pray that you would be at work in the inner man, that we wouldn't just simply know these things with our heads, but we would... Know them down in our bones and in our hearts, oh God. We pray that these truths would change the way that we engage in family life and in church life. The way that we conduct ourselves in every area that you have, oh God, please. Work in us mightily for your glory. We ask this in our Savior's great and majestic name, amen. Well, as we've been looking at uh, the, well, this section in Colossians, I would say quite slowly, but uh, some of you might even add a few other superlatives in front of the slowly to depict how we have moved through this at a snail's pace. But the, the, the sections in front of us in this pas- passage in Colossians, I think are just uh, too desperately important to move quickly by. And they've all struck at... Uh, that new life that we have in Christ, first in those things that ought to be put off in our lives, the things of which we have, need to have nothing to do with, and then in verses 12, at least through 17, the, the new man that is ours in Christ, that, that new life that we live as Christians, this side of conversion and also then this side of heaven, and it's seeking to answer in a fuller way, what does the Christian life 
look like? We've used several words to describe it. We could speak of sanctification or a growing in holiness, but one of the ways that I've kind of gravitated most in this section is that we want Christ to be formed more fully in each and every one of us, and, and then beyond that, in each and every area of our life. And so while we can get, I think, lost in some of the details or kind of sideways in the way that we think about the Christian life, maybe it would bring a sense of clarity to say, when we talk about living Christianly or when we talk about sanctification, maybe it would help if we simply said, not by reduction, but by way of clarity, my life and your life being brought into conformity to Christ. And so our attention would then be lifted away from maybe a disembodied, abstract list of things which might then lead quickly down the road of, well, legalism, or a similar removing these characteristics from the person of Christ and then viewing them as quite optional, which would lead us down the road of antinomianism. Rather than either of those two ditches saying, my life is now aimed in its entirety towards the person of Christ. If we would keep it centered on him, I think we would avoid so many of the errors that we fall into, either in being box-checking legalists or by being law-ignoring antinomianism or no, antinomiists, however you say that word, lawless people. We would be a Christ-saturated, aimed, focused people. And then rather than having our eyes gazing upon my list of perceived merits or obsessed in my wants, wishes uh, without thought to God's law, my eyes by faith would be full of the Savior to whom my heart and my mind and my will were perpetually moving more and more into conformity with him. So one way we could think of it would be something like this. What Christ is, is to what we are to move towards and become. Obviously not in the sense of his deity, but who and what he is like is the the shape of what the Christian wants, strives after, chases down in every area, either from our words or our actions or our thoughts or our motives in Every area seeking the Lord and living up to that name Christian or little Christ. And so we want to consider that theme this afternoon under two headings. And the first would be this, as those who are aimed at growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ, we need to then bear with one another. We want to bear with one another. If you just look back at verse 12 you'll see that the, the, the major imperative or the command that is driving this section is that uh, to put on as God's chosen one. So Paul is saying you have put off the old man in this, with his practices. The old Adam is gone, it's dead. And then therefore the practices of the old Adam ought likewise be put off from you. And then now as God's uh, redeemed reconciled, forgiven sons and daughters, you then put on, and the word he uses, as we've mentioned, is like a word you would use to describe putting on new clothing. So adorn yourself, put on the new clothes that is befitting of a son and befitting of a daughter. And we talked about those five just beautiful virtues that Uh, depict those who have been brought into the family of God, those who are dressed like their King Jesus Christ. Verse 12 really just describes the Savior that has saved us. 
He had a compassionate heart, therefore you ought to have a compassionate heart. He is full of kindness, therefore you as a son and daughter wear the colors of his kindness. He was humble, you should be then humble. He was meek, you are called to meekness. He is patient with us, is he not? Even still, we therefore should be a patient people with one another. And we looked at how all of these virtues uh, run on what we could call that, that horizontal plane. It all looks at how we treat one another. And we wanted to emphasize again and again and again, the way that we treat each other is desperately important. You cannot divorce what and who you are with relationship to God vertically from how you then treat one another horizontally. They are inseparably tied together. Now, even with how clear Paul has been in verse 12, with uh, those virtues that we are to put on, you still might walk away and say, you know, Paul, uh, compassionate heart sounds nice. Kindness sounds nice. Humility, what I would give for patience. But what does that look like? We could still be a little foggy on, on how exactly those virtues play themselves out or work themselves out in the, just the day-in, day-out life of a believer. What does this look like on Monday morning when I am dog-tired? What does this look like on Tuesday afternoon? What does this look like when the house is in disarray because the kids are just having one of those days? What do these things actually look like? And in helping us spell out what those kind of would appear like, he gives us verse 13. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Those two participles, I know you're like, yes, grammar, finally. We didn't get any of it in the morning to everyone's disgust. (sighs) Surprise, you guys didn't want a refund from the offering after that. Well, we had slides, so that was good. These two participles drive this text. And you could look at them and say, well, is Paul using these two participles, bearing and forgiving? Is he using them adverbially, or excuse me, imperatively? I know that's what you were thinking. You were wondering that. I'm going to say not overtly, but I think it, it, it carries the weight of that. How do we put on, or what does putting on look like? It looks like resulting in bearing with one another and forgiving each other. You might say, great, doesn't have imperatival force. I'm off the hook, it's optional. It isn't optional. They are hitched and linked in the text to the imperative of put on, kind of, latching on to that this is not an option. This is not an intramural activity like you have in college where you can go and show up for the sport or you don't have to. This is what it looks like to be in the new man, Adam. This is your spiritual birthright. This is who you are. And what you are to live like. We need to stop looking at these as like, well, you know what? My personality type just doesn't do well with difficulty. I believe you. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not what's under consideration. What's under consideration is the old man put off and the practices with him and the new man adorned and you fly under the king's banners and wear his colors. And what does it look like? Bear with each other. You might like, I wish he had a different word. This is the one that he uses. He says to bear with one another. It means to regard with tolerance, endure, bear with even put up with. You might say, this is nitty-gritty Christianity, and I would say, yeah, it is. 
It's not my favorite verse in the whole Bible. It's kind of a really convicting one. And so as we're putting on the virtues of uh, tender hearts and kindness and humility and meekness, those actually, for lack of a better term, do stuff. It's not like you could sit idly by and be like, I have a compassionate heart. It doesn't make a change the way I live at all. No, 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 no. These virtues work their way out into the fabric of the relationships around us. You will know by the way you live if they are there and to the degree that they are there. So we are to bear with one another. Uh, Paul adds in Ephesians that we're to do this in love. Now, I, I, I was going to say I love that safeguard, but that seemed a little redundant. I, I'm, I'm thankful that, well, I'd say, Paul, the Spirit of God knows me that if all that I ever had was like put up with people, I'd be like, all right, I'll grit, bear it, deal with it. No, no, no. This isn't to be an enduring. Have you ever been with someone? This is dangerous. Where you knew they had to sort of put up with you. But they were by just like their body tension and posture. You knew, eh, they don't like it. I'm kind of a burden. I'm kind of a a pain to them right now. And they wanted to communicate that through subtle various ways that I'm putting up with you, but I'm not really happy about it. That's not the way the church is to conduct themselves. We're to bear with one another, but it is a bearing with love. It is a loving bearing with people. You might say, I've heard of bearing with, I've also heard of overbearing. They're not related. We'll talk about that some other day. Now, there is a distinction that this text will make. There are times where, shockingly, I know this is, t- this is going to be brand new news to you. If you get a whole bunch of sinners together, you run a high risk of what happening? Sin. Yeah, so when we sin against one another, there's actually, a, for lack of a better term, a mechanism of dealing with it. It's the second of the two participles. Forgiving each other. We'll talk about how do I handle... How do I handle relationship in the church and in my life and in my marriage and with my kids when I'm sinned against? Well, we'll get there. But the first of the two, I actually don't think has to have sin necessarily in the mix. That's the second one. The first one just has to do with difficulty. And I would ask you this. Are there folks, no hands raised or testimonies given, that are just hard for you to deal with. I guess I'm the only one. So, yeah, there is. And if we could think about it for a second, sometimes the difficult people in our life are difficult, but not for issues of sin. Now, sometimes sin obviously would make it harder, and we'll talk about that with forgiveness. But there are other times where it's just tough being with some people. You can tell why I don't want hands raised or testimonies given. That could, that could go from the bearing with one another to the need of forgiveness very, very uh, quickly. Now, some Christians, and I want to give this as a, a warning. This is to be a shot across the bow of your life if this is how you deal with it. Some Christians think if something is hard, then I must have been sinned against. And I'm eager, very eager, to confront that sin you ever been around someone who thinks everything that bugged them was a sin and they don't hesitate to tell you that it was a sin? So there are those who, if life is hard around them, they believe it is directly related to sin and they're quick to call it out. There are some people in the church. When I wrote these down, I didn't have names in mind. So if the spirit convicts you, that's between you and him. Where you would say, man, that person's awkward. You might be like, you're talking about you at this point. No, maybe, maybe I'm that person to you. That person's awkward. There must be sin. There must be sin in his life or her life. They don't parent their kids the way that I think they should parent their kids. Sin, clearly. Their personal hygiene standards. 
It's a stretch to call it a standard. Are different than mine. Sin, obviously, what else would you call it? They laugh too much or they don't laugh enough. They're too serious. They're too uh, funny. They, uh, they're too conservative. They're too liberal. They're from the wrong state. They're from the wrong family. They believe, this one's like an ouchman, not an amen. They believe differently than me. Must be sin. They for some reason get on my nerves. I bet if they if they were you know done with sinning, that would stop too. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, people are just different than us, and that can be hard to deal with. You notice this when you first get married. <laughs> this isn't in my notes, but it feels very dangerous. <laughs> There's times where you, you go, what are you doing? I'm doing this. Why are you doing it that way? I've always done it this way. But does it make any sense? The toilet paper always goes over the top. <laughs> Underneath is barbaric. Who raised you? I mean, I mean, we, but we do this not just with our spouse or our kids. We do it with each other in the church. And some people were raised differently. Some of different backgrounds. And they are hard to deal with. Now, in those places, now some people are, by, thankfully, God just sprinkles people in our life that are just so easy. And then the same God the same one <laughs> sprinkles other things in there. And I'm going to argue that he does it from the same gracious heart. I'm going to argue he does. That each saint in the church is a gift. The hard ones and the easy ones. They're a gift from God who's so desperately zealous for our sanctification. That he's willing in his goodness to be like, this one's driving crazy. There's growth that happens in the uncomfortable. When we get too comfortable, guess what we stop doing? We stop growing. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so adamantly against churches that are like, you have to be 31 to 33 and a half in this life stage. And if you don't fit this, yeah, we're not the church for you. What are they aiming at? We're trying to get rid of the, the tough. There's sanctification in Christ's likeness that happens by being around people who are different. And we can at times, rather than choosing to manifest or show in that instance Compassionate hearts, kindness, patience, meekness, those virtues. What can we do with them? We can start to sin. We can start pushing people out, avoiding them, talking about them. We, we, we can start responding then sinfully in those occasions. And Paul's wonderful spirit-inspired admonition to our hearts and our souls today is do not Respond that way. Bear lovingly and enduringly and compassionately and meekly and patiently and kindly in those cases. All five of those previous virtues impact and, well, you could say flavor the way that we bear with one another. How should I bear with one another? Well, with kindness, in intention of doing good. A compassionate heart. I should bear with someone long and enduringly with a meekness about me. That's how we bear with those who are different. That's how we deal with those who are awkward or who don't buy, well, deodorant or who, whatever it is. Enduring, patient, just like your Savior is. With you. I'm probably not the easiest person Jesus has ever had to love. 
Thank you that no one said amen. But he bears with me, doesn't he? He's bearing with you right now. That's what he is like. Therefore, Christian, how should you live? Bearingly with each other. Now, it isn't a cold-hearted putting up with them. It is to be clothed in the raiment of Christ. Those five virtues we spoke of, enduring for a long time with them. And if, if you're just like, it's still hard. Okay, it's still going to be hard. I don't have like a life hack that makes it easy. But maybe this will help just a little bit you know, to nudge you. Remember you're that to someone else. Like, what do you mean on that? You know that person? I'm not pointing at him. That person? I, I don't know who to point to. Looked like I was pointing at Don, but I wasn't. <laughs> you know that person? And you're like, they're just tough. I don't get them. I don't. There's someone who's the list of that person is you. Now, some make more lists than other people, but uh, everyone is on a list. We're all hard for someone. Now, there might be people you think of in this room right now. You're like, I don't see how anyone could possibly have an issue with this person. I mean, and I would mention them by name, but they'd be embarrassed. If you want to know what it's like to live with a person who is is the easiest to bear, ask Ariel what her life is like. (laughs) She's like, what's it like living with Brian? He's so easy. (laughs) Ask her. I'm curious what she would say. So, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And we all have uniquenesses. And I want people who love me to be patient with me. I want that for me. I don't think that's a selfish thing to want. Therefore, what should I do with others? Be patient with them. Bear with them. As Christ has you and as other godly saints have with you, be that to one another. Secondly, my goodness, it's going fast. Forgiving one another. We went from tough to, well, really tough. Paul continues aiming at that second participle. If anyone has a complaint. Now, I I love the way that he writes this. I, I can't help but wonder if I see some of the apostles, hopefully sanctified humor, peeking out. He's like, hey, and here's a weird thing. If, if ever it happens in your congregation where someone sins against you, I mean, it might happen one day. The way that he puts it is like, if, and it will. Yeah, no, that, that's going to happen. If anyone has a complaint against you, now we'll just push, pause there for a second. Because I want to be really, really careful with, uh, again, not drifting into what we just talked about. I think the complaint that he's talking about is a legitimate complaint. If it was an illegitimate complaint, it was just tough, I actually think that would qualify under bearing with one another. Don't believe he's saying the person who willy-nilly anything that annoys them, they're like, hey, you sinned against me. You're like, how? You sat in my seat. You're like, that's not a sin. (laughs) Makes me hard to deal with, but it's not a sin. You looked at me weird. I don't even remember looking at you. And then they're like, oh, you didn't even look at me. Like, (laughs) You all know this happens. <laughs> you, <laughs> I wish it was all fun and games, but it's not. I'm talking real sin. Real sin. The other stuff falls under bearing. You're going to have to bear with people in the church who are mad you didn't look at them. Like, okay, whatever. I'm going to love you, brother or sister, until the Lord comes back. Um, but a true complaint. Sin is not a a subjective thing. It is an objective thing. It actually has to do with God's law and that law being violated in ways that are like, well, discernible and knowable. Sin is not, I felt that you did this. And in my book, that is like, no, 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 that that isn't sin. We're actually going to keep our categories pretty crisp and clean. 
What God calls us, here we'll, just, we'll all sign on to the same definition. What God calls sin will call sin and not the things that he doesn't call sin, right? So when someone has a, a, a justified complaint, you've sinned against them or you, they've sinned against you, vice versa, there is a way within the church of dealing with those, um, those breaches within relationship. Now, I'm really, really thankful that the word of God sets forth how a, a group of sinners can deal with sin. Like, it seems really applicable, doesn't it? Because guess what we do against one another? Oh, we sin. Guess what we do against our spouse? Sin. Guess what we do against our kids? Parents are like, send them to bed early? What are you talking about? No, we sin. And if a church member's never heard you say, will you forgive me? It's a problem. If your spouse, now we're, gonna, we're meddling, we're meddling, I get it. If your spouse has never heard you say, will you forgive me? Parents, if your kids have never heard you say the words that he was wrong, will you forgive me? There's a problem. Because you're not perfect. You are ignoring this beautiful grace-given gift of forgiveness. You know that even within the word that Paul uses here for forgiveness, it has that idea of of graciousness in it. It is a grace given to you as a member of the body of Christ to be extending to others. So just like forbearing, put in the present tense, should be continuous in the life of a believer. So forgiving is put in the present tense as a participle. It should be continual and reciprocal. So we are called to live lives marked by forgiving one another. We're to bear with one another, continual and reciprocal it's to each other. We are to forgive one another. It's continual and reciprocal goes both ways. So what does it mean to forgive? Well, the idea has not only just grace-based, which means it isn't earned, deserved, or demanded, but it means essentially we could have fuller uh, discussions on what it means, but it means simply to cancel the debt or to eat the cost of an offense, right? So when one is sinned against, there's, you could think of that sin as a debt. The canceling of it is, again, we could give a more robust definition uh, later, but this would be the essence of what it is to forgive. It has grace kind of wrapped up in it, so it's not something demanded or earned. It's like, you have to forgive me for what I did. I'm like, no, stop that. It is graciously extended. Now, because you were, I know you were hoping, like, I wish there was a list of how to do this. Merry Christmas. I have a list for you. So, (laughs) when we talk about seeking forgiveness and extending forgiveness, I think it is, I think it's really helpful to think clearly about it. So, first we want to consider three elements of the one seeking forgiveness, and then we want to consider three promises made by the one extending that forgiveness. So, The first thing that you ought to do when you are, your eyes are open and you realize, now maybe you realize as you were doing it or afterwards, either way, I have sinned against this. Maybe you didn't realize it until they confronted you lovingly about it, which is like, that's always fun, right? I'm just teasing, that's not not fun. You guys are sick people if you think that's fun. Anyway, the first thing is you say, I'm sorry. You might say, I've listened to Pastor Brian. He said, don't say that. I know, I listened to him too. I think he would agree with me. I'll find out afterwards if he doesn't. When you say it, now a problem with I'm sorry is that's all we say. All you're saying there, I'm sad. I have, in moments of probably sin, thought when someone said I'm sorry, they'd be like, good for you. You felt something. That's not forgiveness. Now, I try not to respond that way. When you say, I'm sorry, what are you saying? I have done wrong, and the wrong has grieved me. If there is no grief or brokenness over our sin, there is still a problem. 
isn't there? If someone came to you and said, I sinned you, I don't really care. But I got to jump through these hoops. So um, you would say, God has not worked forgiveness in your heart. There should be an acknowledgement of both the hurt caused as well as grief over sin. Now, it doesn't stop there, but I think it starts there. So acknowledging the hurt and that you are broken over it by saying, I'm sorry. Now, there's two ways of saying this. You can say, I'm sorry, or you can say, I'm sorry. Depends on where you're from. Right, Vic? He's just going to nod his head no matter what I say. Esau was sorry about trading away his birthright. But that's all that it was. He had a sorrow that didn't lead to repentance. Just because we're sorry, we're sorry, over things, that does not mean I've repented of it. Doesn't mean I've sought forgiveness. So just simply feeling bad isn't enough. But I would argue the lack of grief and brokenness is very concerning. When I'm talking with a Christian who's dealing with sin and there's no brokenness over it, that, that's like a red flashing alarm light in my mind as to how they are doing in dealing with this. The second aspect is to call sin by its name. To call what you did what the Bible calls it. So don't go and be like, I was a little frustrated. No, that was not. You were sinfully angry. But, but frustration and, and sinful anger are different. You might say like, well, I, I was confused. Like, no, I mean, you lied. I mean, call it what it is. To confess means to say the same as. And you might say, do I have to say what they say? No, you have to say what the Bible says about it. So when I go to a brother or a sister, a wife or a child, and I need to confess my sin, I want to call it what the Bible calls it. Now, at this point, often Christians are beset with a few different spiritual illnesses. One of them is they get a bad case of the yabbats. We've all suffered from this. There's no immunization. I wish there was. I did this. Yeah, but I mean, if you'd understood kind of what... No, no blame shifting, no only ifs. That's another spiritual malady that can come uh, creeping in. You don't want to get a bad case of the yabbayus. The yabbayus are terrible. That means that you actually haven't forgiven some other stuff. You start regurgitating things that they've done. None of it. When I go to a brother or sister, I am brokenhearted over what I've done. This is what I have done. This is what God's word says. I, I, I lied. I got angry. I, I, I was sinfully silent to punish you. That was wrong. Those are two of the pieces. You're like, man, this is a fun list. The third is to then, and this is like where the words get stuck here, to ask, will you forgive me? To request that transactional forgiveness. It can be super awkward when someone's like, hey, what I did was wrong. You're like, (laughs) and (laughs) will you forgive me? Now, that's hard to say to anybody. A church member, a spouse, a child, or your in-laws. Ah. That's meddling. I'm, I'm sorry. That one was too, that was across the line. Whoever it is. You're like, what if they're not a believer? You sinned against them. You, you sinned against them. Like, doesn't say now if they're a Christian. Anyway, it's, we, we are to request that forgiveness be extended. You have a debt with them. They are extending it to you. We have to move. We I just have to move faster. So the three promises made. Let me get to those. So that is what forgiveness looks like on the one who has sinned part, uh, side of it. The, the one being sinned against and then extending the forgiveness, it would, 
when, when someone says, I forgive you for that, there are three inherent promises that are made in that. Now, if you ever have to come or get to come talk to me in my office about issues in your life that involve sin and the need for forgiveness, you already know this list. But one of them is, I will not use this sin against you. Doesn't mean I have to pretend it didn't happen, or doesn't mean that I, like, if they're like, hey, remember that time where you, like, totally, like, lost it at me? And, like, they're, they're taking it somewhere positive and sanctifying, and you're like, no, I don't remember. What do you mean? Like, no, don't be weird about it. Just, I won't use it against you. I won't throw it back in your face. I won't hold it over your head. There's another promise, a second one. I won't use it against you in front of other people. I won't go and tell others, be like, dude, Heiko, man, the other day, Jeff said some junk to me. I forgave him, but man, he said that. He didn't really. But anyway, you don't, we don't do that. You forgave. You canceled that debt. You then don't go to other people and flaunt your forgiveness. I don't know what we're trying to do with it, but make ourselves look good by talking to them about it. I won't use it against you, and I won't use it against you in front of other people. And the third one's the kicker. I won't use it against you in my own mind and heart. That's the hardest one. Now, it doesn't mean, because you know some people say some dumb stuff, like forgive and forget. How? How do you forget? How do you acknowledge it? Like, delete that file. Like, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But we don't do that. When it comes up in my own heart and mind, I will decidedly not dwell on it. I will fight the inner battle to not dwell on that. Because guess what we like to do sometimes? This is just like a glimpse in my own heart too. We lay in bed at night and we watch reruns mentally of sin. And you feel a little justified. Like, man, that was wrong of them to do that to me. Oh, yeah, I forgot that detail. This is a great episode. We... We do it. When I extend forgiveness, I'm saying, when those temptations rise in my heart, I will do battle against them. That is difficult. I've often described forgiveness as you have to forgive me here for, well, bear with me, because it's not a sin, but I'm going to go over a little bit today. So bear with me. I've often described when we sin against each other, it's like shooting arrows at and into another person, non, of a non-lethal sort. What we do sometimes is we take that sin, that offense, <clears throat> pull it out, and when I hang on to it, I put it on the wet stone of memory, and I sharpen that. That's exactly the word they said. That's the look they did. That's the. And then I put it back in this quiver, and I do that for self-defensive purposes. If ever you cross me again, that junk is coming right back. That's what we do when we hold on to offenses. When I forgive or extend forgiveness, I take out that arrow, I break it in half, and I say, I will not use this against you. Not to you, not before others, and not to me. That is, a, that is not an easy thing to do, but it is a necessary thing to do. Pastor Brian's mentioned it before and was mentioned it in passing because I felt like he, he's dealt with it thoroughly before. What do I do when they don't ask for forgiveness? The duty then falls on me to cultivate a heart willing, yearning, wanting that reconciliation. Right? Praying, seeking the Lord, not waiting for it. Be like, man, I hope they never ask so I can hold on to this junk. Like, no. Working towards a heart cultivated. For that. Now, Paul gives the reasons as to why we should bear and then more importantly, forgive in the second half of verse 13. Man, this is a long verse. All right. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So there's actually, he brings up the way that the Lord has forgiven these people as a foundation of Christian forgiveness. This actually has then two aspects to it. 
The first is a likeness to Christ. We talked about how sanctification is being formed more fully into the likeness and image of Christ. So is Christ forgiving? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of, that was weak. But uh, is Christ forgiving? There we go, a little bit better. Therefore, I need to be forgiving. As a, as a son or a daughter made more into his image, I need to be forgiving. And it's actually not like this sign of weakness, like I'm weaker if I forgive. I'm vulnerable. I don't know about any of that, but Proverbs 19.11 says it's actually the glory of a man to overlook an offense like that. If you wanted to speak of forgiveness as an article of clothing, it might just be the crown of the Christian life. There have been some who've said you're never more like Christ than when you forgive. I would say the opposite's true too. I'm never less like him than when I withhold it. When I hang on to that, that is not what Christ is like. I want to strive to be like him, not dislike him. The second way in which this, uh, this is, uh, has an element back to Christ is not just is it like him, but Christ has forgiven you. Consider that. Consider the, the elements of, and the promises made of forgiveness. I won't use it against you uh, before others or uh, to myself. And consider the, the magnitude of forgiveness that Christ has forgiven you of. Pile all your sins into one wretched huge heap and then multiply it by a few times because our memories aren't great when it comes to our own sin. And Christ has forgiven that. Does he use it against you? Does he throw it in your face? Does he talk about it to the rest of the universe? Like this guy over here, I forgave him a ton. You should only see what he said and did. He doesn't do that. You have been forgiven so much. Matthew 6, we're taught to pray that God would forgive us just as we forgive others. It's a humbling prayer. It's like asking the Lord, like, Lord, the the measuring cup that I use to ladle out forgiveness for others. Use that for me. <sighs> I would want the biggest cup in the world to be the ladle by which Christ forgives me. Well, then shouldn't that be the cup we use for others? There's a parable or story of a slave that owed a a staggering amount of 10,000 talents and then another slave that owed him a small amount and the one with the 10,000 was forgiven and then he goes and chokes the other slave and, and we're meant to recoil from that story. It's just like, that's, that's wicked, that's wrong. It, 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 it uh, just, it violates everything within us that aims at what's right. That is aimed at us Christians. We need to be forgiving. Why? Well, if you're a Christian, you've received a forgiveness that outweighs more than all the sin you've received against you and more. We've sinned against God far greatly than we've ever been sinned against. So on that level, certainly, But there's another one, and this is where we we aim more at family life. Say the person that I'm that who sinned against me is a Christian. It, It happens. Has God forgiven them? They're a Christian. What if I don't? Wouldn't that be akin to saying I have a higher standard than Jesus? Like Jesus might forgive you, but I won't. That's a level of self-deception and wickedness that is just, it should alarm us. 
if you've been forgiven, that's all the groundwork you need to forgive other people. But let's add to that, that spouse. They're a blood-bought son or daughter. They've been forgiven. That church member, they're a son-bought son or daughter. I said something weird, but we'll, we'll just move past it. They've been bought by the blood of Christ and forgiven. Will you not also forgive them? Do you know what kind of uh, wonderful, loving, Christ-exulting community is fostered among a people ready to forgive each other. That's what a church family should look like. That's what a little Christian family should look like. Not a place where we're like, well, if I confess my sin, then they'll know I'm weak. Like, we're all weak and we've all sinned against each other. Swift to forgive, knowing that there's a high likelihood that it maybe at some point in the future, guess what you're going to have to ask that person to do to you? Forgive you. If, the, if just these two participles would be true in a more full way at Grace Community Church, surely the world would know that we are his disciples. Here's a group of people. I don't know what they all have in common. They're, they're all sorts of different shades of background and this and that, but they bear with one another. I mean, love. And they're sinners, and they don't, like, they don't try not, like, they don't lie about the fact that they're sinners, which would be a sin which would defeat the whole purpose, but they forgive each other. They're quick to both ask for forgiveness as well as extend forgiveness. That is what Christ-likeness in the life of a, of a believer looks like so you say i want to be like christ i want to grow in the ways in which i reflect him wonderful i know you do bear with one another in love and be quick to forgive and quick to ask for forgiveness and in doing that you will grow in christ's likeness in ways that the world will have no answer for, except surely they are his people. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would work mightily in our hearts. Lord, your word is very heavy and convicting. We pray, O oh God, that we would not just simply sit under the conviction of it, but that we'd be transformed by it. Help us not to feel bad about these things. Help us to, to do them and to be them. And to realize that even as perhaps the failures of how we've done or not done this flood our mind, that even Christ has forgiven us of these. How much more should we forgive each other? Please work in us for the glory of our Savior, do we pray. Amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.